Welcome back to the Bag Drop Podcast. I'm your host, co-host, Matt Considine, founder of New Club, here with our co-host of the podcast, the professor, Dr. Kevin Moore. Good to professor, see you, this, how morning, you doing this morning, Matt. I'm doing all right. Just been working on my sleep. Yeah, how does I feel like you've set the bar high with factoids and things to to share? What so sleep is the the objective of the week? Sleep is the objective of the week. That's the one I've been deep diving trying to figure out how to get better sleep. Um, it's a fascinating. What do you got for us? It's a fascinating subject. Uh, actually, we know so little about it because to actually study sleep, we'd have to like drill into the brain and plant some stuff. So obviously, that's not ideal. Um, so the the metaphor I heard someone say, it's like, we study, we'd be like studying the ocean from the surface. We could kind of send sound probes deep, but if we couldn't go down there, that's where we're on sleep. Yet we do know some important things. Uh, obviously, I think we all know we, we do sleep cycles, right? With different stages and you go through several cycles in a night through four, I think four important stages. But the real cool thing I learned this week was, let's say you normally go to bed at like 9.30. I'm an, I'm an early bed person now. It used to be a night owl, but we're, we're Claire and I are 9.30 people. If you would go to bed at midnight, your sleep doesn't just shift. You actually then miss your entire first cycle. So it's not like, oh, if I go to bed at midnight, my first cycle starts then. No, like your body's like, no, you normally go to bed at 9.30. I'm just going to skip your first, my first cycle and I'm going to move straight to the second cycle of sleep. That doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's actually the biggest deal because the first sleep cycle is where the most important repair of the brain happens in terms of like, Coded, like this fluid gets released into the brain that cleans up all your broken proteins and flushes it out. So yeah, if you are normally going to bed at, you know, whatever time, always stick to that schedule. That was the, my main takeaway this week is don't mess with your sleep schedule. Don't, fascinating. So the early part is most important. I thought the REM was always most part, which is like the deepest sleep. Yeah. All four, they, all four stages seem to be important. They don't know a ton about like all of them are important. But really, like the first cycle they know is like that is the most critical. That's the one you want to stick with and never mess with. So you as, you know, having a newborn and a, another kid, like I hate I'm to just alarm checking. you. I, I want to know. You're probably stressed out right now. but Well, that's what I want to know is like if I have a three-month-old child waking me up every 90 minutes, what's, what's chemically going on in my brain? That's actually – so – that's okay. Like that actually lines up a little bit with your sleep cycle. So your longest like – your first cycle is typically like – I think on average 90 to 100 to 120 minutes and each cycle shortens throughout the night. But the one thing that was, I say, relaxing for me is like if you have to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, that's okay. Like don't worry about that interrupting your sleep as long as you fall back asleep. Or if you wake up and you're up for an hour, like don't be stressed just that. If it's happening every night, okay. Like if you're up for an hour, hour and a half, middle of the night, that might be an issue. But if it happens here and there, that's fine. Yeah. Pay attention to your body during the day. If you feel charged up, you feel energy, then you don't really need to be worrying about your sleep so much, like changing or whatever. Like your your body just self-regulates itself, which I'm someone that gets up in the middle of the night all the time. So like hearing that was like, oh, okay. Like I'm okay with that. This leads into what I was going to ask you before we dive into our special guest. Uh, full swing. We, we had one of the worst oh. sleep nights with our little girl, Rory, uh, a couple nights ago. And I, I had swore, we're, I, I'm busier than I've ever been. So I was just like, no, I'm not adding a show right now. I'm not watching Full Swing. I'm a you know massive golf geek. But uh, she, she was just, I don't know if it was stomach ache or something, but up the whole night. And we're just sitting there looking at each other like, well... Let's throw on a show. And so I put on, so we watched three episodes of Full Swing. And here's my question for you, because you and I, um, 
both got way into the drive to survive as 45 oh, yeah. million American, other Americans did. And, and it was just outstanding. Probably one of my favorite shows I had watched. I, I became, you know, a bit infatuated with the sport of formula one and the nuances of it. And you and I talked a lot about that. And so when we heard that the PJ tour was going to do a version of drive to survive, we were like, heck yeah. Cause you and I have been fans of pro golf and, and golf in general for so long, but for me, it's disappointing. And I watched four episodes now and I'm just disappointed <laughs> and I can't really pinpoint why. And I want to ask the professor, like, why do you think that is? Why is this, this version of this show that I loved now with the sport that I loved, but I still don't, I don't like it. Huh? So to be be clear, I haven't watched uh, Full Swing yet at all. And obviously, you know, as you mentioned, Deep Dove, Drive Survive, Claire and I, I think, binged the first two seasons in maybe two days, flew last summer to watch the race, right? We're all in. We're definitely that that addict of like, yeah, give me more F1. Um, I don't like, well, why, do you, why did you like Drive to Survive? Like, if you had to point, like, give like the cliff notes, what what drew you in about Drive to Survive? Let me ask you that first. And I'll yeah, I, think of I, why I think, I think you're getting- about your answer. I think you're getting the heart of it because the driver's side was, it was new. It was novice. It was, I could go deep and, and I kept feeling like I was learning more and more, right. About tire traction and, you know, how the course setups change. And, and there was so much newness to it that I felt like I was almost drinking from a fire hose of, of knowledge on something mm. new and exciting. Uh, also fast cars. Like I think there's something uh, all all young men get as a kid, or anyone gets as or a kid. Or old men in like our case. <laughs> things, yeah, things that go fast are cool, but but also I, I I watch a full episode of, and maybe that's it. Maybe I'm too big a fan of golf to enjoy the show. Where it's like I watch an episode of the full swing, and I don't feel that um, stimulation that I learned something. Yeah, maybe full swing's not for us. Right, like yeah, I think you know, like they try to survive, like. I mean, they played up drama, right? There's a lot of fake stuff in it. And I say that as someone as a lover of yeah. the show, um, pseudo fake, right? It's like a pseudo documentary sort of style thing. So maybe full swing's not for us. It's not for the golf, you know, the golf degenerates or just those that are passionate about golf, but it's like an entry point into the game maybe for people. And because that's what Drive to Survive did. I think if you talked to a lot of passionate F1 fans, I mean, we've, I know you listen to some of the F1 podcasts and I've been listening to F1 podcasts. They never mentioned Drive to Survive within the podcast themselves. That's true. Right? Like they don't talk about it. And so maybe there's a little bit of that. I also, when I think DJ Pie, like, you know, he, I think he's one of the best minds in golf. He wrote a nice article about it. I suggest anybody to go read that where he made a lot of comparisons between Full Swing and Drive to Survive. And just the difference you point yeah. out, like cars are cool, right? Like in golf, we all relate to golf we all play golf it's like it's like education it's a shared experience but we don't have that with drive to survive right we are watching something completely foreign to us like yeah we drive cars but we never drive like that or drive race like that the the high classness of f1 right the fanciness it's foreign to us it's separate from us that's like the thing you desire is always separate from you so golf it's not separate from us so the desire is not there i also i go back to this too like Maybe we should stop trying to make golf cool. Like, why don't, why is, why do we make, why do we keep forcing golf to be cool in pop, quote unquote, popular in terms of the masses and the, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into a grow to game episode eventually, really deep, like thinking hard about what that means. But like, 
maybe that's a fool's errand like you know like and maybe we're actually I, detracting from the game by trying to make it cool and we're actually chipping away at what makes golf special itself like not everything we do has to be around metrics and having more people and more revenue and more growth i mean it helps the oems it probably helps us the new club golf society do the things we want to do but is that necessarily a good thing just growing for growth's sake and bringing in money and people for that sake i don't know this is my only other thought for for full swing and you're right that that needs a deep dive on the show this season we will do that but my only other thought was the episodes feel odd because of that coolness they want us to feel that golfers are cool and i, I gotta be careful because there's a whole lot of golfers that listen to this podcast uh <laughs> golfers are not cool <laughs> i'm not cool kevin yeah. i think you're the best one of the best humans i've ever met you're not cool mm-hmm. <laughs> like like i think and and here's the thing with like with that in itself that's cool right the comfort of this is who I am. I'm a golfer, but golfers are nerds. Who's our coolest golfer? Tiger Woods, for the most part, at least in public culture. He is the biggest golf nerd on the planet. The guy reads books about physics and yeah. philosophy. Like it is not a cool thing by pop culture standards, right? Yeah. And, and whereas I think that's an interesting distinction where Drive to Survive, Formula One, by all pop culture standards, cool, fast cars, beautiful people. Lots and lots of money. Champagne, parties. Champagne, all that stuff. Golf in itself is this humble. I think that's what it's bothering me with this is, and and thank God Ah. I just got to the Joel Damon episode because it at least brought me back a little bit. But none of these guys are coming across with humility or or like the the things I love about golf in a way, right? Um, It's it's like these just big babies struggling (laughs) with their you know, whatever it is. And, and I don't know, I, I, a lot of thoughts haven't digested it. We'll give it more, more thought. We can do an episode. Yeah. Humble and understated, right? That's sort of the game. It's history. It's roots. It's just the community aspect of it just blends with the city and with the local people, like all the roots back there. And obviously F1, I would, I don't know that it's history, but I suspect that was not its roots was (laughs) humble and blending in with community and society (laughs) and like everybody can do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we we scraped the surface on some big, big talk, talking points. We'll come back to that maybe on a, a different episode. But uh, hey, it's I played golf this week in Ohio. Ooh, I, it, it it peaked on us. It just cracked sixty degrees, and so it was forty mile per hour gusts. And and I went outside, uh, did a little fence member action, hopped on to. Uh, a little spot, you know, I, I take care of the courses. You, so I felt you still have enjoying somewhere and you're just still hey, d- give me some time. Okay. Come on. I got to get around. I got to go see some new places, but I, I just dropped a ball down. eyed it looked 150, 160 yards, grabbed the eight iron and hit the spinniest, just high right poofer that the 40 mile per hour gust takes it 60 yards to the right. And I just, I laughed audibly out loud. I go, what was, okay, all right. It's, uh, we got to get ready for golf season. So in the spirit of getting uh, ready for the golf season, our partner this year for the pod, this year for the spring meet at Sweetens Cove, Golf Blueprint, Dr. Moore here is the founder of, I, I need a refresh, right? I got to get out of this rust for the winter. I got to get moving again. What, what's, I know golf, my, my subscription with you guys is, is going to hit me with something soon on my new plan and I'm going to get back to it. But what, what do you think's coming? Can you give me some, some intel on what I need to do? Well, can I first ask, are you actually going to do it? That's, <laughs> yeah, I think so. that's the important question. 
I I want to I want to allot forty five minutes a week. I'm going to get back to forty five minutes a week. All right, we can do that. We I think we can do that. That's I'm glad to hear you say that too, and acknowledging that the, with the new family life and everything, you do have a balance to keep. Um, what's the refresh? Ba- balance and boundaries, as I like to say. <laughs> what's the refresh that you're going to get? I'm gonna I'm gonna stay away from the sarcastic answers and the and the inside jokes. But I think exactly what you said. You still you've had that high poof ball in your irons and your approach irons forever, right? That's been something. You know, every time I play a four ball match against you, I'm like looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to that Long shot. Long left every, and short right. <laughs> yeah, every time you're on my team, though, I'm like, man, we got to get rid of that shot. Um, we're gonna die on your wedge and approach game. I think you're. I mean, you're you're a generational driver of the ball, right? You're the you're the Rory McIlroy of new club golf society. I think. In terms Finally, of someone said how you Finally how you hit that, that high draw, right? The big turn, the big torque. But man, that does not translate to a good eight iron chip shot, right? That just does not. So we got we're gonna dial in that this year. That's that's my emphasis for you. So when we go to that four ball tournament this uh, this fall, when it's windy, you're gonna have that shot. I like that. Yeah, that's that's a good area of focus. Well, uh, shout out to Golf Blueprint. Thanks for all their support of what we do at New Club. You can check them out at golfblueprint.com and uh, get your plan. Get your game dialed in for the season upon us. Uh, Kevin, we're talking to a fellow member of New Club today, our first of the season, and a, uh, a gentleman, a true gentleman of the game who is pursuing uh, professional golf. Did you ever try to go pro, Kevin? Uh, no. Uh, a real quick story. I knew I, when I, here's when I knew pro golf wasn't in my in the bag for me. We're at uh, was it Royal Birkdale or whatever down in uh, North Carolina. We're just walking along the range. Every golf swing looks good. Every ball looks good. But there's one sound, one sound that's just like, oof. That's that's I'd never heard that before. What is that? Walking down the range, walking down the range, looking in the bag. Bill Haas. Right there at that moment, I'm like, my golf balls never made that sound in my entire life, never will make that sound. We got to, to the chagrin of my golf coach right then, I'm like, I need to do this school thing a little bit more serious. We need to, we need to dial in and do the books a little bit more. So from that, that moment forward, golf was a contentious relationship for me, which, you know, we've talked about led me to quit for a while. So. There's always a, a, a person I feel that you meet along the way that's like, oh, wow, that's a, that's how it sounds. That's what a golf ball looks like when you hit it properly. Um, well, let's jump to it. I want to I wanna get this guy on, Elijah Collins. Here, here we go. Let's bring on Elijah. Elijah, hey. good morning. What's going on? Good morning. And a true good morning. It, you're on the West Coast. Kevin and I are sitting here having our late morning coffee, but uh, you got up early to be with us this morning. Thank you. Anything for you guys, of course. You look like you're already at the golf course, too. It does not look like home. If you, It does look like home. You've done a nice job of like modeling after a clubhouse. <laughs> I, I basically live and, and sleep at the club. Anyways, I'm, I'm here every morning about this time. So getting after it. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Th- thanks for, for coming on, Elijah. Uh, we, uh, Kevin and I have always been fascinated with the pursuit of, of professional golf. And um, you being an early member, a founding member in our Chicago chapter, and I, I, I knew that you were on this, this path. Uh, I wanted to get us started with just one word. One word you would describe to the describe the pursuit of professional golf. What's one word? Damn, that's hard. One, hmm, one word. Uh, I, I think for me personally, it'd have to be like journey. Um, and we'll, I, we'll get into it, but 
since I, I decided to turn pro in 2019 up until today, it has been a roller coaster ride. Um, so we will, yeah, we'll definitely get into it, but I, that, that'll be my word for now is journey. It, it might change as we, as we keep talking. I love that. I love that. What's the, um, I mean, we do, we're just going to dive into it because okay. I think, uh, you know, Kevin mentioned his story about <laughs> running into other players. I mean, can you tell us about your mindset towards professional golf? Yeah, it's always something that, uh, I've wanted to pursue. I remember growing up, going to, to the pro-am at Pebble, driving up with my grandfather and going for a day or two and just watching all those guys and being like, I want to be here one day. Like, I want to do this. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of decided when I finished college after a very mediocre college career that I was going to give this a go. Um, and I, I just wanted to see how I, how I would fare and how I could, how I could do it. Um, and it quickly turned into, wow, I need so much money to do this. Um, which then turned into, okay, how can I make this work where I can make some money, be able to practice and get prepared for tournaments. And that's where I got into like working at clubs and pursuing like the PGA program. So jumped into that because selfishly I would be able to, you know, work my shift, stay at the club for the rest of the day until it gets dark and practice, um, and then have enough money to save up and, go play in events. Um, and that worked for a while until I realized I, I didn't want to be an assistant pro or, you know, work outside service or any of that. Um, and I wanted to dedicate all of my time to playing and, uh, that's what I did. Um, and ran, ran out of money real quick. Um, but had, had a really, really good time. Um, met a lot of really cool people, a lot of people that will, you know, stay in my life for, for a long time. Um, and then I, I, I'm just like kind of rolling here, but, um, then the pandemic hit and that was a whole another wrinkle in my journey. Um, came back to Chicago, um, and settled in, in Evanston and started working as a teaching pro um, at a golf academy, which was great for the time, um, served its purpose for sure. Uh, realized I, you know, I, I don't have the, um, I have a lot of patience, but not a lot of patience for, you know, five-year-olds running around, you know, uh, swinging, swinging their clubs around and uh, I'm, you know, using all my abilities to dodge, uh, getting hit, uh, realized that it wasn't for me anymore. Um, and it came at, uh, a weird juncture where kind of in the middle of the pandemic, I, uh, I got sick, um, and was, uh, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. I had, I had cancer. And, um, so everything took a backseat. Uh, my, my whole world kind of just stopped. Um, and it's, been a long road. It was a long road. Um, I'm not going to lie. It, it really took a lot out of me, uh, mentally, physically, as you can imagine. Um, but I can, I can say now that we're, we're healthy and, and ready to go for, for this year. Um, and so this, 
this next chapter of the journey is is all about rebuilding and kind of starting from zero. Um, I, I won a couple mini tour events, but that seems like eons ago. Um, and I'm trying to figure out my body now and trying to figure out my swing again. Um, it looks good, I will say. But we're, we're getting there. Good. I was checking out some <laughs> of your, your uh, social swings, <laughs> Elijah. Agreed. It looked good. Yeah, we're we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, and thank you for sharing that because that that was something I was aware of, and it, it took me took me um, back. It really did, Elijah. And just uh, I did a little introspection myself when when you shared that news with me. And I know a lot of people you have not shared that with. So for you to come on the show and, and share that, that's a uh, a big deal because there's people out there that have lost a lot of loved ones, obviously from cancer, and people that are battling it themselves. And, you know, as it, I'm going to ask a question about how it pertains to your dreams and the way that you live life. Because I'll tell you, when we hung out in 2018 and you had told me about, you're like, it was kind of, I don't want to say, I hope they don't take this the wrong way, but it was kind of a little bit cavalier. It was like, yeah, you know, I'm over at the golf practice helping out some kids. I got time at Conway still. I got, I got some backers, you know, we're going to get it going. And, uh, and then a few months ago, I, we same dialogue, right? We always get the professional golf, you and I, when we chat and, and what you're playing and what's coming up. The difference I see now is your conviction. And I, 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 like you, I think, I don't know exactly how you said it to me a couple months ago, but it was like, I'm going to play on the PGA Tour. And, and the look in your eye and the sound of your voice, to me, it felt very different than in 2018. I know you kind of made the official decision to play professional golf in 2019. So it probably was part of that thinking through your plan. But I got to imagine what you went through has changed your perspective on both golf and life. Can you tell us about that road from 2019 to now of how it's, how it's changed your mindset? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, I mean, going back to what you guys were talking about with full swing, right? Um, when, when you're younger and you're um, as like passionate about professional golf as I was, um, and you see, you know, those, those guys on their, on their private jets playing cards and hanging out, you're like, that's cool, right? That's, that's the fast cars um, for us. Like that's, that's the cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And I knew back then, like, again, very mediocre college career, um, just never got comfortable, but I always felt like I had room to grow and I knew I could get there. I knew I could fly in those private jets with my friends and my dog, you know, um, and we'll get there for sure. I think being sick, uh, and I said this in a, in another podcast, not too long ago, it really made me realize that you have, you have one life, right. And you, it can get taken away from you really quickly. Um, and being able to sit down and kind of look at yourself on the outside, but also more on the inside and be like, you have, you have one go at this. What are you going to do with your life? And I've, I've always been passionate about starting like a foundation. Um, I know I've talked to Matt about this, but um, I eventually want to start a foundation that makes uh, therapy more accessible uh, to kids. Um, 
this is similar to like a youth on course model, but for therapy. Um, and I, that takes, you know, a lot of capital and a lot of planning, a lot of backers and a lot of things to happen to all kind of make it work. And I know that by playing on tour, I'd be able to make, make that difference, right. With, with the winnings and, you know, being on podcasts or doing stuff like we're doing now and raising awareness for this issue um, that I think is pretty prevalent, especially after the pandemic. Um, I can't tell you how long it took me to find a therapist, you know, and I was going through it, um, you know, having, having cancer and then like literally losing my mind. And I couldn't find a, a therapist that was under 500 bucks an hour. And I couldn't pay for it because I wasn't working because <laughs> I couldn't work. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of going back to your question, I, I really want to make a difference. Um, and I, and I think I can, and I truly believe that my, my kind of vehicle of doing that is, is through playing golf. Wow. That's amazing. Elijah. Um, I'm struggling even to come up with a question now because of, uh, I'm a very passionate person about, um, therapy. My, my previous wife, she was a therapist and I saw the work she did in local communities and that was, you know, always impressive to me. I'm a firm believer of any of the students I work with, whatever, like, you know, we, we all go through stuff, you know, not always as, as deep as the stuff you've gone through in terms of battling cancer and coming back from that. But, you know, we all have our, our internal struggles and therapy therapists can be such a huge help. And I'm a firm believer, like, you know, the attention we put into anything can translate to other parts of life. And so I'm wondering, you know, some of the, the, and I think this could be, you know, good for our, our listeners to, to understand and think about too, some of the things, you know, you learn through going through therapy and probably, I would assume maybe still go into therapy um, that have helped translate into your pursuit of professional golf. And, you know, you're thinking outside of just therapy itself, but life and your pursuit of your, your goals, you know, what are some of the things you've learned that have helped you reframe the way you look at what you do? Yeah, I think um, introducing mindfulness into my like daily habits um, has been huge. Uh, it was introduced to me in college um, by our assistant coach at the time. <clears throat> and um, I didn't really get it. I didn't understand it. I didn't have the patience for it. Um, but as I kind of progressed through my different treatments and after surgeries and going through uh, all the therapy that I have, um, reintroducing that idea of just kind of quieting the mind and um, I mean, there's so many ways you can do it, right? I, I do mindfulness walks. Um, so I'll almost give myself a prompt where it's, you know, find 10 leaves and I walk until I find those 10 leaves. And the only thing that's going through my mind is those leaves. And then I realize, like after that walk, like, wow, I, I feel so much better because I was focused on a singular task and that was able to like translate into, you know, practicing and, and getting ready for events of, you know, just like, okay, I'm going to focus on, you know, where the, the club head is at impact, right? I want it a degree over whatever it is and focus on that one thing. Let's do that, you know, uh, for a period of time and almost do a mindfulness walk 
but through the golf swing. Um, or like I played yesterday and I told myself, okay, I want to make sure that I'm being like acutely aware to the tops of the trees on every hole. Cause it was gusting, but it was swirling. And so that's, that was my only swing thought the whole day was just where, what are the trees doing and adjusting from there. And like, I, I felt like I didn't even play. Like I wasn't even there because I wasn't focused on, you know, oh, where was I at, at P4, you know, or where, you know, where do I need to be at impact? It was totally something like out of my body that helped me play a lot better. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, adding those little things that it takes a lot of time, but I think it can just transform your life with whatever you're going through. Right. Um, a lot of people say like meditation and yoga and mindfulness, all great things, but not everyone has the patience for it. I know I didn't, but when I was kind of forced in a position where I had to, I realized like I should have been doing this sooner. This, this had benefited me, you know, a long time ago. (laughs) I think that's a great point there, Elijah, too. Like our previous version of ourselves sometimes aren't ready for something and it takes something to make us ready. But if you had to go back to, you know, that you, I was going, I was of course deep diving your social media, um, before this podcast. And I saw one of your posts, like a special moment was finishing your last college tournament and starting your next journey. Like if current you had to go back, you know, got to go back to that version of Elijah and give a piece of advice relative to this, obviously you can just say, Oh, be mindful because uh, the assistant coach that didn't help out. But if you could, what would you tell yourself that maybe would help them start making that transition earlier? You know, what, that sort of previous advice that you'd give yourself, what, what would it be? I, I would tell myself to slow down. I, um, I got really wrapped up in, um, in the, the coolness of golf. Like I was like, I want to, I want to fly in those jets. I want to be at pebble and then the next week in Phoenix and then the next week in wherever in LA and I want to jump around and play and meet all these people and sign all these autographs and do, I hadn't done anything, you know, but I was looking too far ahead, which I don't know. It, it got me in a spot where, you know, I was like all amped up for nothing. No, nothing was happening. I had created this like, you know, vision in my head, which I think is a blessing and a curse, but um, it, it got me in a place where, like after college, when I decided to turn pro and then I would go out and play around and shoot like three or four over, I would be like pissed, like so ready to just like give up and quit. Or I would go straight to the range and be doing the same mistake and be like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, why am I doing this? Like, this is so like, I'm so bad at golf, blah, blah, blah. But none like that round didn't mean anything. And I was so wrapped up in like, I need to be like under par every day and that's how I'm going to get better. That's how I'm going to get out there. I need to go out and play in these Monday qualifiers and get on tour and blah, blah, blah. It just, I needed to slow down a lot. And I think being sick in the pandemic, like forced me to slow down. Um, I had no, no other choice, but to slow down. Wow. Yeah. I, that's so relatable, Elijah, to, to me and where I've struggled in both golf and and life. Do you have any books or 
daily practices that help you get there? Because I think, I think for me, I struggle with, with mindfulness of the consistency of it, right? If I, if I take time to do some breath work or uh, meditate, it, I, I'm good, but it has to be consistent. If I just do it once, it's not like a quick fix, right? It's been three weeks and then I get to meditate. Oh, I feel better all of a sudden. No, it, for me, it's always like, all right, I've, I've had a streak now of 10 days in a row and I feel really good. Um, do you have any tools that help you keep it a regular part of your life? The practice of it? Yeah, I, I picked up a book and I was trying to remember the, the name of it. I think it was Mastering the Mental Side of Golf. I think that it has like a picture of um, like 16 at, at Augusta on the cover. Um, and that one kind of changed my perspective of like what golf is. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to make a little tangent here. Why I want to start the foundation eventually for therapy is because growing up, I, um, I had a, I had a hard time with a lot of things. Um, and golf was my escape. I would come where I am right now to Presidio, um, and pay, you know, five bucks come right after school. And, you know, if I was having a bad day or whatever, and I just needed to clear my head, I'd go play nine holes and I had no care in the world. I didn't care where the ball went. I didn't care what I just wanted to be out there and be in nature. And that was my therapy. You know, and I think it served me for that time for sure. Um, because I didn't have another option. I didn't have anyone else to really talk to. Um, at home, it's just been me and my mom my whole life. And so we're, yeah, we're close, but at the same time, we're not. And we don't really get into the big stuff or the hard stuff together. And so I didn't have an outlet. And I had to kind of figure it out on my own. Um, there was counselors at school, but I could never feel comfortable enough with them. And the only place that I felt comfortable enough to like dive into those like big issues was on the golf course. Um, and so going back to what we were talking about, the I didn't realize what golf was for for me until I really dove into like the mindful side of golf. Um, because all of my, like everything clicked, everything clicked at that moment when I read that book, um, and was realizing like I can make, I was on the right track making golf like my therapy and I can, you know, if I miss a five footer for, for par and how I react to that, it affects how I play or how I, you know, how I continue the round. But it also that reaction translates to like, if someone cuts me off in traffic, or if I get in an argument with my with my mom or my girlfriend, um, or something happens at work, right, it's all interconnected. And it's just all your emotions and how you can deal with them and how you can compartment compartment mentalize them that's not a word that is um that is okay it's on this show yeah i'm still waking up um but no it's it's 
it was a, a life changer for sure. Um, and there's, uh, I think in one of our member gifts, we had the Zen golf book as well. Um, that was another one too. I don't think I got through the whole thing on that one, to be honest, but, um, but yeah, no, it's just like, it's going back to what we're talking about with like the mindfulness and, and all that and incorporating those, those things into your daily routine. Um, you hear it all the time and you don't, maybe you're not ready or you're, you're just not interested. You're like, I can't sit with myself for that long, but you never know until you try it, you know? And I think a lot of people can benefit from just trying it um, and doing it in, in so many different ways. There's like so many different apps you can get now um, or, you know, other books. I have one book. Um, it's called like Mere Woods Meditations or something. Um, and Mere Woods is a, like a national park here in uh, just across the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's like a guided tour um, through the forest with like different. So like, let's say you start at the beginning and you, you walk and they give you a prompt to think about until you get to the next like target in the book. So it might be a tree or it might be a little gazebo or a stream or something. And then you, you do the next prompt through that really cool stuff. Um, so it doesn't have to be focused on golf, but you can, you can kind of do it anywhere. For, for us as, as golfers, I, I always had this sneaking suspicion growing up. It's like, I played golf for a bunch of different reasons. A lot of them were competitive to begin with, but then it transcended for me, kind of my second life of golf to, I was becoming a better person through golf or I was learning things about myself through golf, through my experiences on a golf course that would educate my life or educate some of the things I was doing as a friend or a father or a husband. And, and I used to kind of like think that was ridiculous growing up. Like, ah, oh, no, no, no. It's just a game. Like, come on, don't, don't go all weird on me, Matt. But then, uh, for me, Zen golf and my friendship with Dr. Joe Parent uh, actually did open it up. And he was like, buddy, you're not alone. It's okay. Everybody has something that is their teacher. For you, golf is it. Golf is teaching you how to live your life. It's okay. It's all right. And, and just know that and have a balance with it. And uh, it's just really cool to hear you say that, Elijah, because I, I think more people can come to that realization that their mindfulness can stem from golf and, and it will bleed into the rest of their life. But you have to know that and you have to work on it. It's just like anything. It's not just going to happen. Um, if you go out there and drink 10 beers and chuck some clubs into the woods. I don't think you're going to be very mindful, but if you're, if you're focusing on it, it, golf does help. Yeah. Like I'm a firm believer that golf is an embodiment of life and, and a vehicle for life. And I think golf's, I don't want to say it's the only thing like that. It's, but it is unique in that. And a lot of other athletes that don't ever discuss their sports in the same way that people discuss golf. So Elijah, why do you think you know, you, you used the word journey and you've been on a, a deeper, richer journey than many of us in terms of what you've gone through and fought through and where you're at now. Like, why do you think golf, like what's unique about golf that makes it this sort of embodiment of life? Like, uh, since you're so in touch with the mindfulness of it and that, like what, what makes golf special? Sorry, there was someone walking. We can cut that out. 
Um, <laughs> Why do they think golf special? Bring it <laughs> up. Um, I think golf brings you to so many different places and you meet so many different people and it's like the world comes together for like four hours, right? It doesn't matter where you are. Uh, if you go out as a single or even with a buddy or, you know, a couple of people and you get paired with someone, um, I mean, you can meet your next best friend, right? Like it's such a special place being on the golf course. Um, I know that I've, I've met people from all walks of life and you, I don't think I would have ever met them if it wasn't for, you know, the 11, 10 tea time. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think golf, this is a hard question, honestly. Um, because you can answer it in so many different ways. But I think for me being, uh, I was a history major in college and I, I love traditions and I love the history of the game. And I think that makes it really special as well. Um, and seeing how it's progressed through the years um, with like, I mean, so many different things, right? Tournaments, getting changed and then, you know, policies getting changed with, you know, allowing people of color to play. And then you have that whole boom after that. And then you have the younger generation coming in and bringing more weights into it. It's just constantly evolving. And now with live, right? Like there's so many things that are going on. And I think that's what makes it really special. I mean, not many sports can say that they've gone through such a journey, right. And their in their history. Um, yeah, I, don't, I mean that's a that's a good question, Kev. Honestly, that's, that's one thing I, I wanted to ask you about. I think I'll I'll do it probably through your uh, experiences with youth on course. But you know, you mentioned people of color in the game and that past and the history of it. You know, you you're a representative of that movement. And as I as I learned, I didn't know this. One of the reasons we got involved as new club in youth on course is you, Elijah, and your story. But you were one of the earliest youth on course beneficiaries, right? As they were kind of getting off the ground in the Bay Area, you were an early alumnus. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I started when I was 11 or 12. Um, yeah, I mean, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. And I wanted to give golf a go. It was kind of a, a um, suggestion for my grandfather. Um, and so we kind of went, you know, we kind of just dove right in and youth on course was huge, uh, for, for me and my family because, you know, five bucks and I can play basically anywhere. Um, and I was able to really kind of hone in, um, and it was great. I loved, you know, playing everywhere that I could, um, and playing as much as I wanted, you know, essentially. And, uh, meeting other, you know, youth on course kids or other kids on the golf course or other adults and kind of learning things or networking, um, when I was younger. And, and then I, uh, I went to school in, uh, in Lake Forest, just North of Chicago. And I, it was the first time I had really moved out of my 
like San Francisco bubble um, where, you know, every, everyone is super, you know, accepting and, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I really struggled my freshman year at Lake Forest um, being, being from San Francisco. I, I think I'm, you know, just more, um, I don't know if uh, I might get canceled, but, um, <laughs> I, I, I just feel like I, I just grew up in a more accepting and welcoming and nurturing environment. Um, and you know, I freshman year, I, you know, got called, you know, like gay slurs and, mm-hmm. you know, for what I was wearing, um, I got my, my room broken into and a Confederate flag sprawled across my bread. Uh, I, <laughs> at, uh, the conference tournament in, uh, on, in my freshman year, I was playing against this kid from, you know, whatever school. And he was like their number one, apparently big, big deal in the area. I had no idea. Um, and I made a, an up and down on the third hole and uh, impressive up and down, I will say. And um, there was ropes in between the holes to the next tee boxes. Um, and there was parents kind of all along the sides. And as I was coming off that green, um, this guy in the crowd kind of turns to his wife and it was loud enough where I could hear it. And I didn't know if it, if he meant to, but it seemed like he meant to, <clears throat> but he turned to his wife and he said, he can play pretty good for a colored boy. <laughs> and I, I kind of, I didn't know what was going on because that whole year had already been so much for me. Um, and I, it kind of hit me like, where am I? Like, where am I right now? And uh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have done this, but anyways, the rest of the round, I kind of kept that in my head and um, I ended up beating the kid and I was coming off 18 and uh, same thing with the ropes. And I was walking up to the scoring area. And I saw that guy. And as I'm walking by without even looking at him, I said, I can play pretty good for a colored boy. And I went straight to the scoring area and signed my card and whatever. Turns out that was the the dad of the kid I was playing against. And uh, anyways, told my told my coach and you know what happened and because I was pretty pretty rattled after the round. And um, the the kids I felt bad. Uh, but the kids' parents got like banned from the tournament that that year. Like they weren't allowed to come back and watch their kid. Um, but I, where I, I'm, where I'm getting at was, I think I wasn't aware of my like race or ethnicity when I was in San Francisco. It was only made apparent when I moved out of this bubble. Mm-hmm. If that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But it, I think it really hardened me to like the rest of the world or the rest of the country, at least of like, shit, I don't, I'm oh, sorry. I don't know if I can swear here. Um, good. Swear yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I was like, yeah, I don't, you know, maybe 
is this what what it's like out there and i think that honestly subconsciously made me a little wary of like my rest of my time playing collegiate golf because i didn't know what other people were going to say or other people were going to do and um which is totally the wrong way of thinking because it's out of my control right and i can only can control what I, you know how i react but um no that was super hard for me uh and like i said just going through you know confederate flags put on my bed and uh getting jumped twice my freshman year um like i didn't know what was happening and i didn't know um it it made me feel like i was doing something wrong for just kind of being who i was and being who i am um and that yeah that really put me like kind of in a spiral of like you know is this not good enough? Is this person who I am like not enough? Um, but it's, it, I mean, I'm kind of going on tangents here, but I never felt comfortable in even like the, you know, there was like a all black men's group or whatever on campus. And I never felt comfortable there either. You know, I've, I've never like fit into one little like corner of anything. My, you know, grandparents are from Spain and my mom grew up in Peru. Um, so I, you know, I speak fluent Spanish. And so I, you know, try to hang out with the Latin American kids, never fit in there either. So I was just this like floater. Um, and I had, you know, my studies to focus on and golf to focus on. And that's what I did. But um, yeah, I don't even remember what the question was that you asked. Originally, wow. But we got there. <laughs> yeah, that's not a tangent at all. Elijah just mentioned like, golf is an embodiment of life and thank you so much for sharing those stories and your sense of identity in place i know that's that's a hard thing to do to be open about that and one of matt and i's goal with revamping this podcast was to explicitly raise issues like this not hide from them not hide from these scars and these black marks on especially american golf so thank you so much for for sharing that. i'd like to dive in just a little bit on that too in the sense of like well, one, I hope our listeners, I hope every listener listening to the episode just reflects there. Like, Elijah, how old are you right now? I'm 26. 26. So this was, you know, five, six, seven years ago, um, 2015. Yeah. Like, it's today, right? Like, that that happened today in today's world. And, and I think every listener needs to know that when they say we don't have significant issues in our society, including within the sub-society of golf. Like, Everybody needs to be aware of that and that's going on. But then kudos to you. Like, look, you're still playing golf. Can you just dive into that a little bit? Like you, you, you talked about the struggle that you had and I was sitting there writing down notes, like did this become a motivation? Like, was there a, should I leave golf? Golf's not a place for me. And I'm sure maybe it was a little bit of waves of back and forth. Like you ended up here. How did you like, how did you work through that to be like, no, screw it. Like I do to borrow my buddy's trips phrase. I do dope things. And here I am like, like how, how'd you do that? Yeah. I, I will be honest. I was ready to transfer, uh, after, after that freshman year. Um, and it was really the, the comment from that parent, um, that was like the last straw for me. I was like, I, I can't progress here. Um, and it was one of my teammates who was like, I was in the same position. I mean, he's, he's white as, you know, white as can be from 
Massachusetts. Um, but he, uh, he was like, I was in the same spot. You were like, I hated it here. I never fit in. I never could, you know, get comfortable, but, um, stick with it and focus on the golf and see where that can take you. And yeah, I, I think I played the next three years with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. Um, I had, uh, some really close calls with, uh, you know, with high place finishes and wins, um, that seemed to be kind of unfairly, um, stripped away from me for whatever reasons. One of them being, um, conference championship, I think it was junior year playing in the final group. And, uh, I think I was a couple under, um, coming into the last and there's a par five water on the left, kind of bomb it out to the right side, you know, come up, try to stay calm, uh, miss my par putt. You know, I finished with bogey walk up to the scoring area and I'm there with my playing partners. Um, and I had, I had won the tournament, um, and we're, you know, going through the scores and signing it. And one of my playing partners coach who was, um, a, just blatantly racist, uh, was there. Um, and he watched me sign the card that we all agreed on. And as soon as that card left my hand into the hand of the, of the scorer, uh, he kind of cuts in and goes disqualified. And we all kind of looked at each other like what? And so he's like, no, you, uh, you made on 17, you made a, a, a five instead of a four. And we're like, what are you talking about? Like, so we go through the card again and we're like, I mean, we everyone has a four here. I don't know what you're talking about. And he was like going through the whole thing and blah, blah, blah. And we ended up granted our fault. We, we realized that it was a mistake. Um, but the way that he like did it mm-hmm. was just so malicious. And he could have said something because he was watching the whole time. He could have said something before I turned it in. Um, yeah, I don't know. That guy that guy was something else. Uh and it wasn't the first time he had done something like that to to me or to, you know, other people from other teams who were not white. Um he was yeah, he was just nasty. Just a nasty man from like Alabama, I think. Um nothing against Alabama, but he was he was a nasty boy. Yeah. There's uh like Kevin said, a lot of courage in you uh, continuing on, right? Like that's that type of stuff. <clears throat> a lot of people just hang it up. This isn't for me. I want to go somewhere I'm comfortable. But you've taken on that discomfort so many times in your life, Elijah. And um, just want to say thank you for doing it. Because I think, and you and I have talked in the past about this. Um, I'm about as white as white can be, you know, from Akron, Ohio here. Uh but uh, Kevin, you're pretty white too. Um, small town Ohio, <laughs> <laughs> right? Small town Ohio, and 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 I'm. This is 
probably in the game of golf, one of my top most passionate issues. I talk about this stuff with friends at length in my free time, you know, and I want, I ask myself, why is it, what is it about this? And I think what you share in your stories a lot around this, Elijah, highlight really well is a, a lot of people get a sense of belonging from playing golf. They, they are a part of something that is bigger than themselves. To think, to think that anybody who loves the game of golf shows up, has the proper etiquette, has the proper love for the game and reverence for it, all that, plays by the rules, signs the scorecard, and they don't get to experience that same sense of belonging, that this is their game, that they're here and, they're, and they belong here, that's tragic. And it, it, really, it really upsets me. And I, I think about my dearest friends that, you know, I get the call. Let's go play some baseball. Let's go play some soccer. Let's go play um, uh, whatever, name the sport, basketball. We were doing pickup games for all those things all the time. I was the only kid playing golf that, look, that and, and every time I went and played golf, it's all the kids that look like me. So that, that's, I think, where, I, where my passion stems from. And then just hearing you know, your stories, it, it emboldens the efforts that we have to make here. And I know you, you said, you know, no one wants to be canceled. Being canceled sounds like it sucks. I, I don't want to be canceled either. But one, one thing, you know, we, we have a chapter in Atlanta and we got a chapter in Chicago and these issues exist in both those markets. But I, I have found in my own experiences that us in the Midwest, we tend to think it's elsewhere. Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in the world. And, and that's just talk about it, right? Why is it? There is some systemic stuff there that exists and you don't have to look any further than golf to understand why. Mm -hmm. Chicago has five all-male golf clubs. Why is that? Right? That's segregation. It just doesn't seem right. So um, just thanks for, for telling your story here a little bit. I know it's uncomfortable, uh, but you know, you're, you're such a great ambassador for the game of golf and that's all golfers. So you represent me, you represent Kevin, you represent, you know, black kids and white kids out there that want to make the dream of professional golf their reality. And so uh, from new club <laughs> to you, keep going, man. That's, <laughs> let's go, you know, keep practicing. That's why you're there early. Uh, I, I, how much of, and I'm going to bring it back to your professional pursuit, how much of seeing someone of color, seeing a black golfer, seeing people, minorities in the game at a high, high level. How much is that important to you? Do you think that, would that have changed you as a kid? It sounds like you had a beautiful childhood of where these things weren't necessarily an issue. I know there's, that's not the case for kids in Ohio where I'm at. Like seeing some other golfers out there, is that important to you? I think, so I've been asked this question before um, and I, I got asked this question, kind of the same question. For the first time, um, I was. This is such a, a throwback, but it was one year at the at the um, at the pro am at Pebble, and it, I think it was the the year that like John Daly made his comeback, right? And he he teed it up at at the pro am, and I was at MPCC on the side of the road watching him on I forget which hole, um, and they were coming off to go like get shuttled back to the. Uh, to the hotel or the lodge or whatever. And there was like a news crew there and 
so this this lady asked, you know, can we can we interview you about you know watching John Daly, blah blah. blah. So I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, so we're talking about John Daly and his comeback and whatever. And I'm I'm like 16. Like, I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but her last thing that she said, so she goes, you uh, you know who you kind of look like, right? And before she could even say anything, I said, Tiger Woods. She goes, yeah, like, you know, you really do. And I was like, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I literally would you get that all the time. And then she goes, so do you want to be the next Tiger Woods? And I said, no, I want to be the first Elijah Collins. Like there's, there was no question about like, I don't. Yeah. And I think that came from like, if I would have grown up in a predominantly black neighborhood or environment or city, and those were the people around me. And then to be able to look on TV and be like, whoa, you know, HV3 is really playing well this like week. Like I want to be like him. I think it would have changed, but like growing up in San Francisco and having like so many different like people and just like others around, I don't think that, you know, seeing Harold or seeing like Bramlett on TV or Tony Finau really changed anything because I had never like been in a position where I like longed to see myself on TV or to see someone like me on TV because I'd never had that like perception of like, we are so oppressed that we'll never get there. Like I never, I was like, okay, there's more white people. Like it never like hit me growing up. Um, but I think if I were to grow up in a, in a predominantly like black or Hispanic neighborhood, yeah, that probably would have changed, but I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it's cool that, you know, there's guys out there who are black who are playing on tour, but they're just pe- like they're people. I don't mm-hmm, think that yeah. like you need to add like, oh, he's the eighth black guy to ever get his tour card. Whatever, who cares? He's a person. Like, right. get over it. <laughs> well said. Very well said. Like, look forward to that time in society where that is not a discussion we need to have or a narrative that needs to be around as if it's a unique thing or a special thing that it is just just another just another person playing yeah like that's all yeah and i mean i'll kind of piggybacking on that my favorite event every year was the and they they i'm glad they did but they renamed it the pga works collegiate championship but it used to be called the uh, pga minority collegiate championship and that was my favorite event all year round uh it was down in florida at uh in port st Lucie, and they ran it like a tour event and it was cool to be there with like all of these like black and brown and asian like golfers from all over the country um and just like playing golf playing your collegiate tournament and I ended my collegiate career there uh, and I ended up missing graduation for it because I loved that tournament so much. I loved it because I felt like comfortable for once, but not in a sense that like, I felt like I like belonged there, but more of like, I feel comfortable because all of these other kids that are playing have felt the same shit that I have. Mm-hmm. We've all felt the same, like, walking on eggshells at a course or walking on eggshells, you know, in a tournament where, you know, you're the only person of color there. 
um, because it does kind of like it warps your perception of like yourself. At least for me, it did. Um, and that yeah, that was like the best event. But going back to what you were saying, right? We shouldn't have a need for that tournament at all. There shouldn't be a tournament just for the black, brown, you know, not white community in golf. Like that shouldn't be a thing. Um, and I'm glad they re- they renamed it because the the PGA Minority Collegiate Championship was was kind of a dicey name. That's a that's a cancel. That's a cancel name for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got I got a buddy Elijah told me the same thing. He's like. We, he hates the word minority because for him, it's like, you're telling me I'm lesser off the bat. I know it's a percentage thing. Sure. But like, come on, aren't we past that? And in a lot of places we, we certainly are. So thank you. Thank you for calling that out. <laughs> and it's such a, good, yeah. such a good point, Elijah, too, because it brings up the balance of any form of cult activism or whatever you want in terms of like creating a sense of belonging amongst everybody in equity. Like, this balance of like creating those avenues and paths that are u- unique to the to anybody that you're trying to promote equity and balance with, but not in a way that just leads to further segregation, right? Like it's easy for that to that could devolve into two ways, like create this event to support a certain group, but that can just propagate, you know, propagate segregation, or it can act as a vehicle for be- bigger equity. And it's just such a t- difficult balance to make sure, like. You just have to be conscious of it and always paying attention to which way, where is this going next year, right? Where, where's this tournament? What do, how are we building into something bigger rather than just letting it stay in this niche and never grow beyond that? Um, so great, great point there. Yeah. And I, I think it just goes back to like, like the country club mindset of like the States, um, like, you know, it's reserved for the exclusive and the exclusive is just another way of saying rich white people. Um, and so, I mean, it's like, it's crazy. Trying to play in mini tour events in the States is insane, right? Like 1800 bucks to join a tour. And then it's like 800 bucks a tournament and the tournaments are two days and like, yeah, the payout's nice, but there's so many guys trying to do it. Um, and that's why I, I turned my focus to Europe right? Like playing out there and joining a bunch of different tours and paying less than I would, you know, for all of my events, paying less than it would be to join one mini tour in the States. Um, the money isn't great, but it's, it's, you know, it's a start and, you know, we'll see what happens from there. But, um, yeah. And you can join, you can join so many good clubs for like, you know, 500 pounds a year. And like, it is just, you're just a member and, and there's no you're like, playing, now you're playing our greatest hits from the backdrop. <laughs> you're singing to the choir, man. It's like you could join, it doesn't yeah, you, make sense. No, you could join 10 top 100 clubs over there for the price of a nondescript, non like important country club over here. Right. It's, it's, it's absurd. 100%. Yeah. 100%. The, um, this has been really uh, enlightening, Elijah. I thank you again for just coming on chat. And I want to uh, ask you, we, we have our, our partner this year's Golf Blueprint for our spring meeting, as they have the last few years. Um, they're a big practice-focused plan for those looking to get better. Uh, you're there early in the morning at Presidio. What's 
how's your day progress from here? Can you walk us through like your practice plan? Like what are you working on right now? Give us some insight. Yeah. So I like to do a little bit of everything in, in one day. So I'll usually start uh, on the putting green and I'll I have, you know, five, six drills that I do. Um, whether that's, you know, one day working on line or one day working on speed or distance control. Um, it, it rotates depending on how I played that week. Uh, and then I'll move over to the, the short game area, making sure that, you know, I can still clip them and, and not, you know, hit six inches behind. Um, it's nice because the, since this, this course is, uh, semi-private, the chipping area is full of divots. Um, so it's nice to get some good practice, like off of not perfect turf. Cause if you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. I like that. Um, I like that attitude so there. That's yeah. Yeah, it's spinning. Yeah. Spinning it, uh, in a positive light there. But, um, then I'll usually go straight into TrackMan um, and make sure that all my my numbers are are good and see where I'm at at the at the beginning of the day. That's what I like to do. Um, so do some full swing work in TrackMan. Um, I usually start, and this is uh, I might be exposing myself here, but I usually start with one of those games uh, that they have on TrackMan. They have one. Um, where you like you i think i literally think it's called magic pond and you hit balls into this like lake and you're a little like cartoon character and all these monsters pop up based on your yardages really cool uh it's a great warm-up um so i'll start there and then kind of dial in you know what i what i want to see in that kind of hour and a half um and then usually take a break uh just kind of you know, sit around or have, have a little bit to eat, um, or another glass of or cup of coffee. And then I'll go back to the range, um, and kind of work on whatever was lacking from the session that I just did. Um, so whether it's like, man, I'm, my spin rate is like through the roof, like how can we dial that back down? Or, you know, I'm blocking the shit out of it. Okay. Let's work on that. Um, and have, I, I like to narrow it down to like one thing. Cause when it, when I add too many things, then I, I can't even focus. Um, so usually do that. And then, um, I'll go home, take the dog out, play with him, you know, hang out with him for a couple hours, come back, usually try to play like nine, um, or squeeze in more if I can later in the afternoon. Um, but that's where I like to kind of put everything together that I've worked on in that day um, and kind of focus on that one singular thing, have one kind of topic uh, mm. that I want to focus on. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of practice, a lot of time just being here. Um, I, I feel like I, I just loiter at the club. So I'm literally here all day, um, but it's nice. And then try to get out, like I said, uh, every day, if not, you know, three times a week at minimum. Um, but the weather's getting nicer out here. So more people are playing, so it's harder to get some tea times, but we, uh, we make it work. So I know for a lot of our members, they, they think might think of practice as something boring, right? They're reluctant to practice because of course, you know, we always say there's limited time play, right? That should be your first choice. But 
for that that new new club member that wants to play, that wants to get better and improve, like how do you keep practice interesting so it's not boring, it's not just repetitive, and you start blanking out? Like, what do you do so that every day you're you're focused, you're intentional? You know, how do you engage your mind in that way? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, like giving myself goals is a big one. Um, so like, it can be as simple as like in a putting drill right? Like make 18 out of 24 putts. Um, and you know, if, if you make 17 out of 24, let's try it again or move on to something else. Maybe go do a chipping game where you're trying to get it within a, a radius around the hole, get it, you know, five out of the seven. If you don't, you know, move back to the putting and make sure that you're alternating. Um, cause I, I remember getting into the spot where I would be like, okay, I need to make 18 out of 24 putts. And I would sit there for three hours and progressively get worse and realizing like, I'm just doing nothing. I haven't done anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and practicing like bad habits instead of like removing yourself and doing something else and then coming back to it. I, I, like we talked about earlier, I think that's just a model for life, right? Like if you're stuck on something, take a step back, reflect, do something else, distract yourself, and then go back to it. How, how um, many of us have stared at like a, a blank <laughs> screen of an email or the thing you're supposed to do and you're just like, I can't do this right now. And and we tr- But we force it a lot of times and we do a bad job. I have found that like 90-minute intervals of focused work are so much better for me. And then I just go for a walk, go away for a little while, go get a glass of water, you know, breathe, and then come back and you're like, oh, okay. So I, I've... Honestly, I, I fall the same pitfall with my practice. I was like, no, I have to hit wedges because I need to be better with my wedges. And I'm just right. hitting bad wedge after bad wedge after bad wedge. And it's like, oh, dude, just go go do something else for a bit. Go hit a driver. Go roll a putt and then come back. Yeah. Or like if, if it's bad wedge after bad wedge, right? Like say, okay, I'm going to hit one high and then hit one high. And then, okay, I'm going to hit one low, hit one low. And if, so if you're giving yourself a singular thing to focus on it makes it a little bit easier to manage um at least for me or like pick a target and say like i'm gonna start it there and cut it or i'm gonna start it there and draw it um and give yourself like you know those little little goals and little games to keep yourself interested because it can get it can get boring yeah i love that game gamemanship aspect as well as experimentation that's what i always tell people like if you're struggling don't, yeah, don't just keep doing what you're struggling at because you're probably just ingraining bad habits. Like, get creative, experiment. Like, hey, if you're seven irons bad, like, hit a 20-yard cut, hit a 20-yard draw, be an athlete. Just focus on those things and then let your natural athletic ability and hand-eye coordination sort of iron things out versus forcing something. One thing I've been doing recently that just reminded me of um, is, so the, the range at Presidio, it's kind of like a, like a half moon shape. Um, and depending on where you are, you know, you're, the balls are kind of eventually coming together. Um, or in theory, if they were on a straight line would. Um, so what I like to do if I'm getting frustrated or something, I'll just watch other people on the range and see like their ball flights and try to hit their balls as they're going. Cause it makes me focus on like one thing. Plus I get frustration out cause it's little, like <laughs> you're, punch stingers and then, you're, you're out there skeet shooting yeah and then and then we're Elijah's skeet fine. shooting on the ring it's awesome 
and then we're fine. We can get it out of our system and then go back to it. But um, that's it. another one. If you get bored, try to skeet shoot. <laughs> that, is, that is so cool. I'm, I'm definitely, I, I don't know. I can't think of a range nearby that has that dynamic to it. But man, that sounds so cool. I, I like it because it's going to make Matt hit low shots. So that's gonna, <laughs> his next practice drill is going to be skeet yeah, shooting. Yeah. yeah, no more floaters. That's Keep right, it no. down. Keep it down. Um, both of you guys and the ball flight. <laughs> Elijah, th- thanks again, man. I, I guess now's a better place than anywhere to, to do a little announcement because you know, we want to support you and your professional journey. And so uh, the pollinator is going on the person here this year, Elijah is going to be out competing on a number of different circuits professionally. And, uh, the pollinator will, will now be a, a supporter and sponsor of Elijah Collins. So new club, um, give them your, your love and, and, uh, support. Is there any, is the schedule set Elijah? Can anyone go see you rocking that beautiful Ralph Lauren sweater with a pollinator on your left shoulder? Is there a, a place we can go, go give you some support? Yeah, are you uh, like in person or socials? I mean, let's do both. Yeah, well, give us social and then give us some of your uh, upcoming events. Yeah, social is uh, ecollins27, and that's on Instagram. Um, and then events, I mean, if you guys are willing to jump on a plane and come out to Scotland, come, come for it. Um, but I'll be out there for a while. Uh, and then playing, I've got one event in july in kansas city no sorry in wichita kansas i don't even know yes yeah i gotta figure that i gotta look at a map uh make sure i go to the right place uh and then yeah i've got so i've got that i've got us open qualifying which is local um here in the bay and then got an uh, one event in palm springs uh but the majority of the season will be in scotland wow i did i was not aware of that I mean, you're yeah. talking to two members of the new golf club, St. Andrews, buddy. We'll we'll bring out all we'll bring out a big crew. I would say I was going to ask. I uh, I know you had a you know you have your your kids and a wife and whatever. But if you ever want a caddy, you want to make a trek up to Scotland. Let's uh, let's talk off uh, offline about I, that. I am Elijah. <laughs> I am so insecure about my caddy abilities. I really am. Like I I, I really want to volunteer the professor here for that one kevin is if he Either weren't a tenured professor he would definitely be on a top talent bag this guy i mean the math thing obviously he, he can handle quite easily but he also has that little psychologist in him as we've learned on this show I, professor do you do you want to i would i would take elijah's game to the dumper but i feel good <laughs> about you i think you should you should get out there i don't know if i'm a good caddy but i love caddying like i it's All one right. of those things we'll I think I've, I've loved doing more than even playing. Like it's just something about the always being in thinking mode rather than execute mode. Like that's what I enjoy about the caddy position, just always thinking and reacting. Love that. I think this is a stay tuned. I think we can put this in the yeah. work. So we'll talk a little bit more about your your uh, your schedule. But Elijah, thanks so much for being with us today, man. I really enjoyed having you on. Um, everybody hit up Elijah if you got you know other questions. He's he's been a, a generous soul from day one. I think it's one of those things where you you said it, Elijah. You never know where you're gonna go and who you're gonna meet. Um, I I truly think of you as a inspiring person that I've met in this game that makes me want to be better, makes me want to do more for the game. So just thanks for sharing the story with us today. Thanks for inspiring this podcast, inspiring new club. Uh it, it's great spending time and, and being with you, man. 
of course. Anytime, let's do it again for sure. We will. We will. We'll get you. We'll get you a W with Professor on the bag, and then and then we'll have you back on the show to celebrate. Perfect. <laughs> so wow, that was a pretty insightful conversation with our friend Elijah. Professor, what are your immediate thoughts? I'm going to be processing that one for a while. Uh, a lot to take in. I, I honestly have never been more excited for this to just get to production and get on our ears. Uh, I hate listening to myself, but I think I'm going to listen to this one all the way through. Uh, in terms of what stood out, I think for me, the story is just so compelling. Everything Elijah's overcome. And what really stood out in terms of that story is I think it's easy for us to judge our success based on results, right? It's easy to build results-oriented goals. And we judge what we do. For me in the publishing world, did I publish a paper? Did I publish two paper? You know, for tournaments, what was, what was my finish? Did I win? Did I finish top 10? And just build everything around those metrics. And we move that way in society around corporations, shareholder value, yada, 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 attach metrics and judge based on that. And what stood out to me with Elijah was that, you know, personal judgment and personal feeling is maybe the best way to judge success. In his case, the process and the journey, just showing up, continuing to show up, despite a lack of sense of belonging, despite explicit actions against him to tell you you don't belong cancer other issues other struggles like still showing up every day and to hear someone say i'm here to do this i'm here to be the best golfer i can and put in the work and still do that i mean that's success regardless if elijah goes out and wins tournaments or not like he is successful because he's showing up every day going through that journey going through process and and enjoying it, right, and being present within it. Um, I feel like I have a lot to take away just from my own personal growth from listening to him <laughs> and, and sharing his story. I, I, I was in a very similar line of reflection for me. It's just like um, I, I had kind of high hopes because the guy has I knew was profound, you know, f- gone through some profound things, but um, it exceeded my expectation because for for me, one, one thing that stands out is that, you know, here we chatted with him for – an hour or more, and he's a literal survivor of terminal brain cancer, right? And it almost, I don't know how to, I'll say it, but it was almost like a footnote on the journey. Like, mm. like he, he opened up to me about that months ago and, and, you know, he was thinking about sharing it, but I, I didn't realize until this long, lengthier deep dive and chat with him about how he, I felt wasn't going to be defined by his chemo treatments or his, um, you know, surviving a brain tumor. Like it, to me, it, it maybe was this moment for him to look at almost bigger takeaways from such a horrific experience. Right. And for I think the theme that came out more than anything was his health and his mental health specifically. You know, I thought about, um, since we chatted, before and 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 now after this this chat like that's a, a near death experience and and people that have gone through that i think if if folks are watching full swing and they see the Joel Damon episode it was i think we referenced it with with Elijah as well you know those people seem to acknowledge their own mortality and the reality of it all but they also seem to understand the difference between just living a life and living a life worth living 
And that's what I think my biggest takeaway was of, of Elijah is that this, um, you know, I, golf as a metaphor for life, uh, he, he definitely, you know, isn't sweating the small stuff anymore. He's, he's got his eye on his dream with conviction and he's not worried about the result necessarily. Like you said, he's going out every day and doing the right things to, to do his absolute best. And, and he's just not going to worry about what people think, uh, which maybe was something in the past or sweating the lo- small stuff. So I, I had a lot of, you said personal growth from it. I, I think for me, I wish I, 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 it's an aspirational thing. I hope my golf game and frankly, my life could, uh, I could get to that point more frequently. I think we all probably do it at points, but it's really hard to consistently, you know, keep yourself in that headspace of uh, I'm out here approaching my dreams. This is what I want to do, who I want to be, playing my best, living my best. Um, it, it really is just such a, a cool metaphor for for life, you know, this game of golf. And um, yeah, it was as inspirational as I kind of hope, probably more so than I anticipated. Yeah. He seemed really comfortable with himself and confident with himself, right? That despite all the adversity he's faced, and maybe that's helped build that in him. That's what really stood out through the audio and the the video of just, wow, he's truly comfortable with himself and where he's at and what he's trying to do. And I think that's something we all would like to have. But speaking on at least behalf of myself, I was going to say most don't have, but on myself, like I don't always feel that way within my yeah. job, within my home life, like. You have this sense of discomfort and like, no, just be comfortable. Be comfortable with who you with are. Who you are, yeah. And what you're trying to do. And it, yeah. Well, I know it's uh, very cool. And um, we talked a little bit about his practice to there towards the end. So a shout out to our supporters and friends and sponsors at Golf Blueprint. I saw you Hello Rain Sesh last weekend. So how'd that go? Because I know you've not touched the clubs for a little while. <laughs> yeah, I did. I tell you what. I, it felt a little weird being out there. I hadn't been there in a while. You know, it's it's one of those situations where, you know, I, I tell other people how to practice, but I haven't been that good with practice myself probably the last couple of years. So, you know, complicated by maybe too much work or just bad intentionality on my own part. So I sacked it up, built myself my own blueprint, knowing what I need to work on based on a lot, you know, the last probably six months of rounds. Like I have one specific area I need to focus on a ton. Um, Which is? Uh, ball striking and speed. It's just, it's I, I'm like old man swing right now. And it's got, I've lost like way too many miles per hour and my ball strike is all across the face. So I just build a plan. It's like, hey, let's focus on getting your speed up a little bit, hitting some bombs. And let's focus on dialing in those, you know, approach irons and like hitting the sweet spot and really controlling trajectory and that stuff. So I went out there and put it in my 45 minutes and actually walked off the range thinking, wow, like I did what I needed to do. I haven't felt that way in a while. You know, I've been pretty aimless in my own game. And it was kind of exciting. Got me pumped to get back out. I ended up playing three straight days um, after that wow. as well. So, Is your uh, early season blueprint different than your midseason? Yeah, typically. I mean, I would say moving into midseason – trying to trend towards tournaments or whatever. So you I kind of know what I need to do, more pressure shots, um, focusing on those areas, putting myself under more pressure. Where right now it's like just getting loose, getting speed back up, making sure 
I'm happy if I'm hitting the ball to the center of the face right now. I don't really care what I'm scoring. I don't care where it's going so much. Like, is the ball on the center of the face? Because everything else can get figured out pretty quickly when we start moving into the warmer months. Well, I'll, uh, you know, for our, our, our audience, make the commitment to yourself. Start warming up the game. Check out Golf Blueprint at golfblueprint.com. And, and you know, my commitment to our partners at Golf Blueprint is I'll, I'll hit balls. I'm going to hit some balls. I'll, I'll give you some feedback on my cards for this year. And, and uh, that'll be, you know, some of these ad reads in the future are going to be, uh, I'll have some feedback. We're going to need uh, some video proof on that. I will not accept text messages of I went and hit balls. I, I need video proof. It's okay if, it. the, if the little kids are along for the divot ride. Divot patterns. But. I'll send divot patterns. Let's. I'll send, uh, maybe I'll get a dispersion chart for you guys. Uh, it, it'll be documented. And we're moving into YouTube world too. So maybe we throw some, <laughs> some nobody wants to see me, you know, hit poofy eight irons, but we can uh, hopefully get past the poofy ones here relatively soon and back to playing some golf. Well, thanks, uh, Professor. We will talk to you later. And everybody have a great week. We'll see you next week. Bye.